Good morning. My name is Dustin. I'm on staff here at South Point. If you don't know me uh, and you've never heard my story before, my mom got pregnant with me when she was 15 years old. And, and the boy who got her pregnant at the time was 14 years old. Now, that's pretty young. And, uh, and when I was born, my mom did the best that she could. She worked basically full time while also finishing school. And she, along with the help of my grandma, my aunt, and my uncle, they did everything they could to provide for me and be there for me. But the boy who got her pregnant, he struggled. They weren't even dating when I was conceived. It was just a mistake hookup. And so, like, having no relationship with my mom and also not only being a kid, but a kid who was caught up in, in some things he shouldn't have been, he kind of fumbled the ball a lot as a father. And eventually he was out of the picture altogether. But you see, then when I was 18 months old, my mom met a man that she fell in love with, and this man with no hesitation stepped in to raise me as his own son. And he and my mom, they went on to give birth to my two sisters, his actual blood daughters, and let me just tell you, never, not even once, did he treat me any different than his own flesh and blood. In his eyes and in my eyes, we are flesh and blood. I was his boy. He put food in my belly, corrected my mistakes, and there were a lot of mistakes. He coached my football teams, helped with my homework, prayed over me every single night. That's my dad. Even 12 or so years later, when he and my mom separated, he didn't miss a beat. I was still his son. I am still his son today, and he has been one of the most significant influences in my life when it comes to knowing what it means to be a man, knowing what it means to be a father, and knowing what it means to follow Jesus. He stepped in and raised a child that was not his own, and that decision changed my entire world. We're going to be talking this morning about one of the most widely disregarded characters in the entire Christmas story, another man who made the decision to help raise a child that was not his own, a man named Joseph. And you know, I have a special place in my heart for Joseph, because in so many ways, Joseph did for Jesus what my father did for me. Now, it wasn't because Jesus' earthly father disappeared, but all the same, Jesus was not Joseph's flesh and blood. And Joseph doesn't really get any credit at all. I mean, you can think about the Christmas songs we sing, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, All is Bright, Round Yon Virgin, Mother and Child. Joseph isn't mentioned once in that song. I checked all the lyrics. There's a song called... Mary, did you know? I'm sure you've heard of that. No one's ever written Joseph, did you know? I guess we're still waiting on that one. Joseph, in so many ways, is regarded as a background character in this entire Christmas narrative. But you see, in the same way that my father stepping in to raise a child that wasn't his changed my whole world, Joseph stepping in to raise a child that wasn't his helped change the course of the entire world and all of eternity. Joseph has a story, and we're going to look at it this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, you have your Matthew journal. We're going to be in page eight of that Matthew journal, starting about halfway down at verse 18. And this is what the text says. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, 
Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I don't know your story, but at first glance, you might read this passage and think that you have nothing in common with Joseph. You're not a carpenter from ancient times. You're, you've never experienced this ancient like betrothal process. You've never been with someone who experienced an impossible miracle pregnancy that you had to accept. And not everyone in this room has raised or is helping raise a child that's not their own, although if you are doing that, let me just say thank you. That is incredible, and it makes a huge difference. But at first glance, you, you might read Joseph's story, and it's so outlandish and crazy that it's like hard to, to really make any connection to it. But honestly, I think everyone in life goes through seasons where they experience life play out, and it, it, a lot of times it looks really similar to Joseph's life. Like, let's just look at this story arc for a second. Joseph, he has a plan for his life. He has a picture in his head of how things are going to go, just like we do. But then he experiences a drastic change. He learns that what he thought was going to happen is not how his story is going to play out. Then Joseph receives this invitation from God to trust that although things feel uncertain and unstable, that God still has a plan. And then Joseph makes his decision whether or not to trust God and move forward or not. And I mean, you've experienced this, maybe not in the exact circumstances as Joseph, but you have undoubtedly experienced that exact story arc in your own life, and you'll probably experience it again. And so let's just look at it real quick. First, Joseph has a plan for his life. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. So we find out at the beginning of the story that Joseph and Mary are betrothed, which is an ancient form of engagement. Almost certainly this was probably an arranged marriage. Essentially all marriages in their time and culture were arranged. And traditionally couples would enter this one year legally binding period of time called a betrothal. And in this betrothal, they would prepare to be married. They get all their affairs in order and they plan the wedding. Pretty similar to modern engagements, except they were already legally bound together once they were engaged. It's not like our modern society can just break off an engagement, no harm, no foul. They were already legally bound. This betrothal process was just a year to plan and prepare and dream and connect together. And it was full of excitement. It was all about looking ahead at what could be. And maybe you've experienced that excitement, even if not marriage or engagement, just excitement about life, maybe hope for the future. You start making plans, things maybe are going well, and it's like, man, maybe things are going to work out after all. Maybe it's a job or, or family or relationship or, or whatever it is. It's like you can start to see the sun peeking over the horizon a little bit. I think that's Joseph in this season. He has a job. He's a carpenter. He has a means to make money. Now, he isn't rich or anything, but he's doing all right, and he can provide a home and food and a life of dignity for this girl that he's going to marry. Things are coming together, 
and they're planning and they're getting excited. Joseph has a plan for his life and then what happens? Joseph's plans get wrecked. Joseph's plans get wrecked. It says, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So this story, it doesn't specify who tells Joseph that Mary is pregnant. I would imagine that it's likely Mary herself. But just like picture this. They're, they're in this exciting future planning, like sun coming up over the horizon stage of their relationship. And, and they're teenagers, so they're probably all giddy. And this is just pure speculation, but I like to imagine Joseph like in his wood shop, like carving into a piece of wood, like Joseph loves Mary with like a heart on it. <laughs> He's all excited. He's going to give it to her at their wedding. And then Mary coming into the shop with just breaks the news to him, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And he's like, but we didn't. He's like, I know. And Joseph's just like gutted. He's wrecked. It's it's future, it's plans, it's life. And in their society, Joseph really had three options. The, The first is that Joseph could have publicly humiliated Mary. He could have dragged her to the public square and said she's pregnant and the baby's not mine. And he wouldn't have been lying. He could have held her to the legal consequences, and and these legal consequences could have ran up as high as being stoned to death. He he could have done that. Second thing he could have done, he could have chosen to divorce her quietly. He could have taken her to a rabbi in the middle of the night and called off the wedding. Surely people would have rumored and talked about them, but it, it kind of spared her from any legal consequences. Or Joseph's third option, he could have just married her anyway. And the text says that he'd resolved to divorce her quietly. That's Joseph's initial reaction. Spare her the pain, spare us both the public humiliation, just like be done with it. That's where his mind went first. But then the text has six really telling words. It says, but as he considered these things. But as he considered these things. Now this isn't a main point, but more of a just side point to observe. Joseph's a man of God. He doesn't simply make decisions based solely off his emotions alone. He doesn't just do the first thing that pops into his head. He doesn't just recklessly follow his heart as the world might suggest. And his heart is broken. He's feeling betrayed. He's feeling let down. And Joseph could have let his emotions control him. And I know we've all been in that place. You get betrayed. You get let down by someone. Things don't go your way. Plans change and you start to feel the emotions bubble up maybe bubble over, and it'd be easy to let them take control, right? It'd be easy to just roll with the first emotional response you can think of, leave them, cut that person off, just just quit that job, just abandon that goal, just give up on that relationship. Who do they think they are? But it's like, what if you didn't? What if you, you took a page out of Joseph's playbook and you, you stayed with it for a little bit? You think about it. Maybe even crazier, what if you prayed about it? Even crazier still, what if you asked God what direction you should go instead of just doing whatever felt right in the moment? And so Joseph's first response, I'm just going to divorce her quietly. I'm just going to move on with my life. But then he stops and actually considers what's going on and what he might do. And then what happens? God shows up. So Joseph has a plan for his life. Joseph's plans get wrecked. And then... Joseph gets reminded who is in control. And so as the text says, but as he considered these things, 
Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Joseph, considering what to do at some point, he, he falls asleep. And I think we've all been there, stressed out, worked up, just going to bed, right? And the text says an angel comes and brings him a message in a dream. And what does the, the angel tell Joseph? The angel tells Joseph that this baby is going to save his people from their sins. Can I just say, literally no one else in the world is aware of the full story here except for Joseph. Joseph's literally the only person in this entire story that gets the behind-the-scenes real version of what God is up to. No one else is going to hear the words like this spoken for over 30 years. And even then, the disciples and everyone else, except for maybe John the Baptist, but like everyone else is confused about what Jesus is doing. Like they think he's going to overthrow the government. They don't understand the point and purpose of the cross. Not Mary knows the full reality. You can read in the book of Luke that not even Mary is told what this baby will really go on to do. Mary is told that her son will be great. She's told that her son will be called the son of the Most High God. She's told that her son will reign on the throne of King David. And she's told that her son will reign over a kingdom that will never end. But Mary doesn't know anything about the cross. She doesn't know anything about erasing the sins of over 8 billion people. And so the song, Mary, Did You Know?, she really didn't know. She knew her son would be great, but she just had no idea how great. But Joseph... The angel literally tells Joseph the exact reason this child is coming into the world to die for the sins of everyone. The angel is literally saying, Joseph, these sins that you guys struggle with, like this, this mess, this hurt in your life that you guys can't get over, like the weight of the guilt and shame that you guys all carry around with you, these temptations and these sins that like eat away at you and taunt you and steal your joy, this child in your says, womb, going to fix all that. He's going to change all of that. This child is going to single-handedly make all of you right with God one day. And these words spoken by the angel, they, they actually refer back to this passage from the Old Testament that Matthew quotes. It's, this actually comes from the book of Isaiah, 400 years before this moment, this passage was written. The prophet Isaiah wrote this 400 years before what we just read about. He said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's why the, the, the text says all these things happened so that the prophecy could be fulfilled. This was the prophecy written 400 years before this moment. And trust me, Joseph would have heard these words before. He would have studied these words that the angel was referring back to. They would have pinged in his brain like, you mean to tell me? that that passage written 400 years ago by one of the most well-known prophets of all time about a virgin miraculously conceiving a child was written about Mary, my Mary? You're telling me that not only is the Savior of the world here, but he's going to be the centerpiece of my household. 
I just want to clarify something for you here in case you're missing this. Yes, Joseph's plans got ruined, but this is amazing news for Joseph. His plans got blown up, but it's actually a good thing. I mean, to be told that the Savior of the world is here and that you and your family were chosen to welcome him in, like, yeah, your plans have changed a little bit. Maybe your life is going to look a little different, but God chose you. Like, can you just imagine if that were you for a minute? A personal invitation from God to make the Savior the centerpiece of your life and your family. Could you imagine if that were you? Or do I really have to say it? It is you. The Savior of the world is here. And you have been chosen to make this Jesus the centerpiece of your household. Will your life look different? Absolutely. Is that a bad thing? Well, it depends on what you want your life to look like, I guess. You see, one of the things about this Jesus is, is he makes a lot of promises to those who will put their faith in him. There are a lot of promises that are made to those who follow Jesus. But here's the thing. None of those promises involve your plans not getting wrecked from time to time. I mean, no offense to you guys, but like you need your plans to get wrecked from time to time. I mean, can you imagine if life had played out exactly as Joseph, as, as Joseph had planned? Like, yeah, nice marriage, maybe a family, but can I just tell you, like, that's not, that's not enough. That's not enough. There are plenty of people with a marriage and a family that still feel empty inside. Human relationships, although beautiful and fulfilling in a lot of ways, can only take you so far. But it can't do anything to rectify the brokenness inside of you like the whole in your heart, the guilt and weight of shame. I mean, your family can't fix that for you. It might feel patched for a little bit. But if you have people in your life you deeply care about, boyfriend or girlfriend or friends or family or spouse or kids, can I just tell you that you shouldn't be looking to them to make you feel alive and make you feel like you have a purpose. That's too much pressure to put on a human being. What you actually need is you need Jesus to bring you to life so you can pour into them. Your friends and your family and your spouse, they're not here to serve you and make your life good. You're here to serve them and serve them out of the abundance of grace and love that Jesus has poured out over your life. You see, Jesus, he, he takes these human relationships and our human pursuits and our lives and he transforms them into something that's so much deeper and better and has so much more meaning. You see, whatever plan you think you have, I promise you that you want God to wreck it. I mean, haven't you lived long enough to know that your plans rarely, and I mean are rarely, what's best for you? Like, they're just things that you can't see. Can you imagine if you had married that boy or girl that you were obsessed over in middle school and, like, wrote their name all over your notebook? I love Bobby. I heart Jenny. <laughs> you thought that was your whole life. Now, for a very select few, it did play out that way, but for most of us, we thank God that that plan was wrecked. <laughs> Some of you are thinking back to who you dated in middle school, and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> you see him on Facebook now, and you're like, no.
Can you imagine if you actually did hit the lottery and it just destroyed your life like it does everyone else who wins it? Because it would. Thank God, God wrecked that plan. I mean, how many closed doors led you to where you are right now? Because I can look back at my life and sometimes it's hard to remember all the doors that got slammed in my face and how many paths that were blocked for me that have led me to exactly where I am right now. And what's crazy is now, like, even now, I, I still plan. And I still think I have some pretty good ideas. Guess what? I don't. And neither do you. Now, we hate when our plans get wrecked. We hate when things don't go our way. But honestly, there are endless plans of mine that got wrecked that probably saved my life. In the book of Proverbs, it, it says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps, and I thank God for that. Like, we, we make plans. We think we know what's best, but let's just be real. I'd so much rather be walking in the will of God than to be walking in the will of Dustin. Like, can you hear how foolish that even sounds, the will of Dustin? Of course God's way is better. Now, unlike Joseph, you're not always going to have the clarity that when your plans get messed up that it's like divine intervention and a ra- an act of God wrecking your plans, of course, it'd be easier to accept the detour and accept the struggle if you had an angel in your room every night saying, now I know you wanted that job. Unfortunately, that's not going to work out, but just you got to trust God's still in control and there's something else. Like, that'd be nice, but that's, that's very frequently not how it plays out. That's never happened for me. So back to these promises of God, and I just, I just need you to hear one. And if, and if you embrace this one promise, I, I think it will make every wrecked plan and change of direction in your life easier to embrace. And this promise comes in Romans 8.28, and it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. One more time, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now what this doesn't mean is that if you lose your job, you're definitely getting a higher paying job with a better schedule. What this doesn't mean is that if you're diagnosed with some kind of illness or cancer, that it's definitely going to be cured. What this doesn't mean is that if your spouse leaves you, that someone better is going to replace them. Now, in, in some of those situations, it can play out with the better job or the healing or the better relationship, but you need to understand that good The way that God defines it doesn't always look the way that we define it. And sometimes the good that God is working in your life, you might never explicitly see it. Sometimes you will, but a lot of times you won't. And so so what's like our move? And and I just want to share with you one thing that I've done over the years. Through severe bouts with anxiety and depression, through some pretty brutal times in the Navy through my mom's battle with cancer and her death through financial struggles and and broken relationships and heartache and hurt like through the pressure of this life and trying to show up every day and be something for like my wife and my kids and people who depend on me through so many like wrecked plans and uncertainty what I've found that my response has to be what I've actually found to be the only thing that works is I have to choose to look at and obsess over the goodness of God. I have to choose to look at and just obsess over the goodness of God. It's the only thing that works. I know that his ways are better. 
I know that he wants what's best for me even when life doesn't feel good. And the reason I know this is because this baby came into the world and he went on to be mocked and beaten and crucified and killed on a cross because even when I was an enemy of God, he wanted what was best for me. Like the lengths that he has gone to show me his goodness and his glory even when I'm not good. He's shown me that he has a better plan. He has shown me time and time again that he is so good. So much so, in fact, that like it's gotten to the point in my life where I don't even have to question who is wrecking my plans anymore when they get wrecked. Because the thing is, God's promise, his goodness stands whether it's God wrecking my plans or whether it's the enemy wrecking my plans, whether it's just because I'm dumb and made some mistake, which is usually the case. Because the Bible says for those who have put their trust in Jesus, he promises to take whatever it is, whatever your struggle or your wrecked plan is, regardless of who set it in motion, and that for those who love him, he spins it for something good. Like, do you guys know what this means? It means we can't lose in this life. Understand that. Like, just worst case scenario, what's the worst thing that can happen in this life? The Most people's biggest fear our biggest enemy looming on the horizon, always taunting us, reminding us that it's coming with every wrinkle or gray hair we see in the mirror. Our biggest enemy is death, either our death or the death of those that we love. Our greatest enemy, what does God do with death? He turns it into a doorway right into the loving arms of our Savior. I'm telling y'all, he works everything for good. We can trust him and that. I just need you to know, I need you to understand this if you don't, that whatever image you have in your head of God's goodness, like whatever picture you have in your head about how good God is, it's not nearly good enough. I don't care how good you believe God to be. I don't care what you've seen him do in your life. I don't care how vast your imagination is. I don't care how good you think God is. You're actually not even close to understanding how good he actually is. I also want you to remember that whatever image you have in your head about how big our God is, like whatever picture you have in your head about how big God is, is not nearly big enough. I don't care how big you believe God to be. I don't care what miracles you've seen in your life that you think you're like peeling behind the scenes and you've got a picture in your head of how big God is. I'm telling you it's not nearly big enough. It's not anywhere close to how big he actually is. You can be the most intelligent human being on the planet. You can have the greatest imagination. You can have the most faith and trust of any human being on this planet. Even so, your understanding of how good and big God is, it's not even in the ballpark. And so we have to rest in that, especially when plans change and things look uncertain. You see, I know Mary was chosen because of her faith but I, I tend to believe that Joseph was also chosen. Because how does Joseph respond? Joseph, he, he puts his trust in God. He puts his trust in God. It says, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. How does Joseph respond? Obedience. Immediately, like I said, the, the traditional betrothal process was a year long. Joseph goes to Mary, and he says, we're making this official now, girl. The plans change. 
And the passage says he knew her not until she had given birth to Jesus, which means there was no physical intimacy, no type of sexual relations whatsoever until after Jesus had been born. And that's, that's kind of interesting, right? Because the angel didn't tell Joseph not to sleep with Mary. And when he wakes up, they go, they make it official, he puts a ring on it. So like in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of God, he could have slept with Mary. So why not? And there are a lot of opinions on this, and that's all I've got really is an opinion. You know, no one interviewed Joseph about it. But, but my opinion is that Joseph didn't want anyone to be able to say in any way, shape, or form that this child, this miracle was anything other than God and God alone. He didn't want anyone to be able to say that he had anything to do with this. You see, Joseph was actually committed to being a background character so that all the spotlight would be on this baby boy. Joseph doesn't care that there, there aren't songs written about him. He doesn't need credit. Joseph just wants to get out of the way so that people can see how good God is. I think that's why God chose Joseph, not simply because of his bloodline, not simply because he happened to be the schmuck that was engaged to Mary, but because there was something in him that wanted to see the glory of God and allow other people to see it as well. I'll raise this child as my own, Lord. I'll teach him my trade. I'll love him as my own flesh and blood. I won't even sleep with his mother just so that no one can take any credit whatsoever away from me. You don't even need to write my name in the story anymore. Like, I'll do what's asked of me because I know whatever image I have in my head of your goodness isn't even close to how good you are. I know that however big I believe you to be, God, it's, I don't, I have no, I'm not even close to understanding how big you are. So you can wreck my plans, God. You, you can make me a background character in your kingdom. It's interesting, this perspective and this, this mindset that I, I believe Joseph has because in the Psalms, in the Psalms, King David writes this. He says, a single day spent in your temple, and David wrote this to God, a single day spent in your temple, God, is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a doorman in the temple of my God than live in palaces of wickedness. And David isn't simply talking about evil, like when he's talking about wickedness. He, he's just talking about the world in general, the world, the things that the world values, the things that the world pursues, recognition, comfort, an easy life like my way. David says, no. Like I'm beginning to see the depth of God's bigness and his fullness and his love and, I, and I'd rather be a nobody in his kingdom than be the most powerful person in this world. And Joseph is from the bloodline of David and I think you see that same heart in him in this Christmas story. Yeah, God, I, I had some plans. I had some ideas, but I know that not even my best laid plans can scratch the surface of your plans. And I'd rather my plans be wrecked a thousand times over. And I trust that no matter what happens, that your glory, your glory and your sovereignty and your majesty will be made known in the broken world around me. And so that's enough for me. I'll follow you. And this is just my final point. The world needs more Joseph. The world needs more Joseph. South Point Church needs to be a church full of Joseph. A community of people that hold our plans like so loosely. A community of people that writes everything in pencil, eager for them to get erased. 
eager for our plants to be wrecked, eager to obey. Because we know that whatever picture we have in our heads of how good God is and how big God is, we know we're not even close. He's amazing. And he's proven that we can trust him. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, I, I, I thank you for Joseph's story. I, I thank you that although this story is ultimately about you, that we get to see him work through this. We get to see him work through this thing that all of us have to work through when our best laid plans get wasted and torn apart and we, we have to choose to accept the change and trust you in that. God, I plan that for each of us in this room, I, I really pray that we can begin to wrap our heads around the fact that we cannot wrap our heads around you. That you are so much greater, so much more powerful, so much more loving. You are so much better than we could, we can't even begin to imagine, Lord. And this tiny glimpse of you that we've seen is more than enough to put our full trust in you. We know that you are at work in everything for the good, even when we don't see it, even when we can't understand it. Lord, as we walk out of this place, I, I just pray that Jesus sticks to each and every one of us. I pray that we walk out of this place worshiping and excited, even if our life's a mess right now, because you're working everything for good. Lord, we trust you. We give you all the glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.